Hi, this is Bobby Kamari, and I want to thank you for listening to season two of the Living in Light podcast, where the whole season is going to be dedicated to the fabulous topic of sacred sexuality. I hope it blesses your socks off. It feels very good to be back after an uber long break, which definitely wasn't planned, but God totally whacked a red light on this podcast. Hence the radio silence mid-season. But yeah, I just think in this season of crazy, where there's so much sifting and pressing and purification going on during this reset, this pandemic, that I am sure many of us are going through um, a place where God is actually just pressing pause on so many things. And I believe it's because he wants to deal with every and any impurity in our hearts. And so for me, I literally just didn't feel a release um, mid-July to publish any more podcasts until God dealt with my heart and my soul. And it wasn't that I was in sin, um, but there were strongholds in my soul rooted in childhood experiences of rejection and fear um, and some unforgiveness that actually needed to be uprooted. And as difficult and as stretching as that process was, um, it actually encourages me no end that God had me pause these pods because I want them to be exploding with purity and anointing and authority and true intimacy and if anything that I would have in my own heart would compromise the authority and anointing that he wants to release through these podcasts then I don't even want to be speaking into any of your lives until that stuff gets dealt with because this thing is so holy and sacred that I'm literally not going to touch it if the fruit that I'm bearing is going to be anything less than delicious and totally nourishing and beneficial for your souls and so for the last three months I've literally just had to wait on God until he delivered me and healed my heart renewed my mind and made me whole again Um, which has taken quite a while and to be honest he's still doing some deep stuff in my heart but I've definitely sensed him giving me the green light to start teaching these podcasts again and it feels encouraging um, to be back but it's also super sobering And I'm not sure if any of you guys are also going through a deep time of crushing and pruning where God in his incredible love and mercy is dealing with every part of your heart to bring you out as gold and so that you'll bear more fruit. But for those of you that are going through a season of pruning and training, can I just encourage you to not despise it, to not let it finish prematurely, to not just want to be delivered because... God is allowing it because he is good and because he is love and because we've stepped into a time of such purification and sifting and preparation as the bride of Christ that anything that would stop us from being prepared as his bride and anything that would prevent us from running our race, I believe God is literally just cutting off. And so if you do have your ear to the spiritual ground, then I'm sure you will recognize that each and every one of us needs to yield to that process and that shaking that Jesus is allowing us to go through in this moment in time. And I think we have to be hardcore and have the purest of hearts filled with love galore keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus and not compromising on truth and on what we've been called to even if it goes against the grain and even if it's a super hard race to run particularly in these crazy times that we're entering into 
And if some of you have actually been listening to these podcasts um, since the beginning, or certainly since the beginning of this season, you will know that when I actually started this season, I shared this before, that I literally felt that these podcasts were going to need to be so raw and undiluted, like no fancy trimming or gimmicks, where it would just be the undiluted word and truth of God, his principles, his statutes, and that they weren't to be made more palatable for the sake of entertainment, um, you know, where the truth might get presented in little nice bite-sized chunks um, so that it's not too teachy, not too wordy, but that actually, by God's design, this message was always meant to be meat for a generation that hungers to be discipled and is not afraid to pay the price to walk in true intimacy, a people that are going to be desperate for the undefiled, undiluted truth of God, and that part of the reason that he's taking me through this fresh place of purging and pressing and pruning is because I know that he's raising up a generation of uncompromising ones who will literally want to be so free so whole so about the things of God who are looking for those that have gone before them for those like me and those like you that are called to pour into the next generation and disciple them with purity with love with truth and so we better be allowing God to purify our hearts and deal with even the slightest bit of junk in our trunks that we might have because there literally is a harvest that's coming and the masses are going to need discipling and they're going to need undefiled, no-nonsense, nurturing and truth and love from spiritual parents who are living sold out for Jesus with no chinks in their armour, with no place of compromise, who are walking in authority, walking in true intimacy and in love and who are truly pursuing the kingdom of God above all things and so although I apologize for going AWOL mid-season but really I'm not sorry because it was God and I'm so glad that he did it because it just affirms that this podcast is really being driven by him and not by me which is wonderful because it's the desire of my heart so praise basically and so with all that explained <laughs> let me give you a lowdown on today's episode and actually on the next few weeks episodes because this is going to be a three-parter where I will be unpacking the big fat topic of physical, emotional and spiritual repercussions of engaging in counterfeit intimacy. And the reason that I'm breaking down these repercussions of worldly sex and counterfeit intimacy in detail is because my heart's desire is that you all knowing and receiving this stuff will not only reiterate why biblical sex really is supreme and so, so good for us and so kind to us, and that it will hopefully help you to make divinely directed decisions about your sexuality, but crucially, it will also strengthen your resolve to reject worldly sex, because despite its appeal, at its core, worldly sex is a killer on so many levels, and we all need to make sure that we aren't ignorant of the consequences of engaging in it. The Bible tells us that God's people perish because of lack of knowledge. And this is often so true when it comes to sexual disorder and when it comes to the consequences of engaging in counterfeit intimacy. Because a lot of the time we are enticed by the pleasure and prospect of worldly sex and intimacy that surrounds us day in, day out in our highly sexualized culture. Whilst the potential consequences and repercussions, they just seem to fade into the background when the reality is that they are so at the forefront of Satan's agenda to steal, kill and destroy our lives through this seductive ploy of sexual disorder. But we get so deceived because this sexually charged world cleverly 
glamorizes sexual immorality with such sophistication and enticement, and it obviously fails to highlight how sexual immorality will lead to shame and condemnation and broken families and unwanted pregnancies and abortions and STDs amongst a million other jacked up repercussions. And so it goes without saying that despite all its pornographic advertising and sex sells strap lines, you will never find the world system running, you know, like Facebook ads about the demonic doors that we can expect to have opened in our lives when we engage in sex before marriage. And trust me, you definitely won't get digital influencers that your average Joe follows doing TikTok videos about masturbation, destroying the sex drive, and rendering you powerless to actually enjoy true intimacy. And Hollywood films, they're certainly not going to be including storylines about the lifelong soul ties that you get when you hook up with someone casually just for one night. Or when worldly sex education is being delivered in schools where students are being told to masturbate and watch porn as part of their healthy sexual exploration of their bodies, no one is also conveniently telling the students that their mirror neurons are going to pick up all the aggressive themes in that porno and will most likely have them imitating those aggressive behaviours in future sexual intimacy or that lust will become their benchmark for romance. And nor is this world that offers us sexual immorality and dysfunction as their jacked up version of sex going to be telling you that a person's pursuit of illicit counterfeit intimacy will not only probably destroy them on some level, but it is often also destroying the lives of countless other souls who are being exploited and impacted in the name of worldly sex, whether that's through broken marriages or porn consumption, through unwanted pregnancies or through abortion or emotional turmoil or demonic dysfunction, like literally millions of lives being violated and destroyed one sexual broken person at a time. I know it all sounds quite extreme and like kind of intense, but this is actually what's happening behind the scenes of this super sexy facade that we normally get sucked into. But really, no one's telling you about the junk and the crap that you will encounter as a result of it. Like, for example, if you take um, Friends, the comedy sitcom, you know, about six friends in New York where one of the characters is Joey Tribbiani, you know, he's the one who's like, how are you doing? Because he shags everything that moves and he's such a player. But like over the 10 seasons of Friends, somehow he never got a single STD, even though he shagged anything that moved. Or when it comes to Hollywood films, like the fact that Hollywood can glamorize prostitution in a film like Pretty Woman where you've got a rich client who falls in love with a prostitute and romantically bails her out of the profession as her knight in shining armour and they live happily ever after, you know, without the film ever really disclosing the true darkness of the sex industry and prostitution. And trust me, that doesn't sound like the life led by some of the ex-prostitutes that I know. Like, I know a woman who went into prostitution to provide for her family after being repeatedly raped um, by family members as a child and sure like Vivian in Pretty Woman she did have a client that she ended up having a relationship with but unlike the wads of cash and the shopping spree in Beverly Hills that Richard Gere gives to Julia Roberts the only thing my friend's knight in shining armor gave her was HIV 
And although she became a believer and she now lives a powerful life of purpose and victory and God has restored her physically and done so many incredible things in her life, but she still has HIV. But you see, the world is never going to broadcast this reality, this heartbreak and depravity associated with sexual immorality to people because Satan is more often than not just going to show us the screensaver in order to entice us into something that actually behind the scenes has the capacity to totally destroy us. And I speak from personal experience because even for me, when I was engaged in worldly sex, I didn't know anything about all this life-destroying junk that comes with sexual immorality. I had no real idea of sexual sin being a sin against my own body, like 1 Corinthians chapter 6 tells us. I had no idea that the price that I was paying was so high, but that the thrill I was having was so cheap. And this was because I was blindly being driven by the spirit of the world, and I was enslaved by the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, and Whenever I encountered the negative repercussions of my lustful pursuits, I literally just saw them as inconveniences and hindrances to my freedom, and I dealt with them as quickly as I could so that I could get back to my pursuit of fleshly desires and selfishly living for myself again. And this flesh-driven, pleasure-seeking, selfish lifestyle of mine included ignorantly bringing so much heartache and dishonor to my family, destroying friendships, violating relationships, losing jobs, taking several morning after pills over the years and always shamefully going to collect them on my own after yet another one night stand. It also included having two abortions, having to take a HIV test after spending a reckless weekend in Amsterdam with a stranger. It included being so shattered on the inside about my own identity and worth. It included playing around with women because I thought I was so undesirable. It included referring to myself as a swear word because I hated myself so much. And not to mention the other countless destructive consequences that I experienced and put on other people as I navigated through my sexuality out of the beauty, the safety and honor of a biblical framework. And of course, I understand such repercussions of engaging in worldly sex might not be as drastic for your average person and certainly your average Christian, but they might involve confusion or loss of respect or feeling shame or experiencing guilt and perceived separation from God or or maybe even just going through a painful breakup or um, perhaps going a bit too far sexually with someone or It might be an addiction to sex or a dependency on masturbation or porn or a negative impact on your relationship with your spouse. Like whatever it might look like, the actual negative consequences of sexual disorder in our lives can be so painful and destructive. And so before I go any further, I do want to define clearly what I mean by sexual disorder. Because this is ultimately what we are referring to when we talk about worldly sex. And so, as I've mentioned before, sexual disorder is any type of sex in the Bible which is not referred to as yada intimacy. So, quick recap, yada is God's word for sex and it refers to sexual intimacy as the deepest way that a human can be known by another human. And it's only possible within the holy context of covenant marriage where this sacred gift of sex is protected within the confines of unconditional love and faithfulness and stability. And this word yada 
actually mirrors the same kind of intimacy that we as believers have with God. So it's that kind of sacred intimacy. And so sexual disorder is any kind of sexual intimacy and activity that takes place outside of this framework of yada and this framework of covenant marriage. And the Old Testament refers to this type of sex as zakab, which literally means to lie down with. And it's the same Hebrew word used to describe animals mating. So it's almost like a reference to the fleshly act of sex as opposed to the true sentiment and sacredness of sexual intimacy. And so when this word zakab is used, it usually implies sexual relations of an illicit nature. And so in the Old Testament, you have the Hebrew word zakab to define sexual disorder or sexual immorality. And then in the New Testament, the same um, concept is described through the Greek word porneia. So both mean the same, but one is in Hebrew and the other is in Greek. And so this word porneia is the root word that pornography comes from. And it can also be translated fornication. And so it literally refers to every single sexual activity outside of marital sex. So, for example, premarital sex, adultery, incest, pedophilia, bestiality, homosexuality. And I mean, Jesus even considered sexually driven lust um, a sexual immorality. And so biblically, every single type of porneia is deemed illicit sexual expression or activity because it's outside of God's original design for our sexuality. And so it's literally seen as an abuse to our body. So sexual disorder, sexual immorality is seen as an abuse to our body. And the reason I believe it's seen as an abuse is because the price Jesus paid to make us one flesh with him and the gift of sex that God designed to symbolize this intimacy that we have with Christ which is to be enjoyed only within the confines of a covenant marriage, is being misused and violated. It's being abused. And so just to jump into a bit of scripture, in 1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 20, in the message, the Apostle Paul here is talking about porneia, or sexual sin, and he talks about the violating implications of our bodies engaging in sexual immorality, and how in sexual sin... We abuse and squander away what Jesus paid such a high price for. So this is what it says in the message translation. In sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies. These bodies that were made for God-given and God-modeled love for becoming one with another. Or didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit? Don't you see that you can't live however you please, squandering what God paid such a high price for? The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. Now, when I actually really began to understand this scripture, it was such a heavy revy for me, like a heavy revelation, when I actually realized that sexual sin was abuse to my body. Because for a long time as a Christian who kept backsliding for the first three years of her you know, God walk, I would read the scripture and I would feel so condemned because I knew I was misusing my body when I engaged in premarital sex 
And I knew that my body didn't belong to me anymore because it had been purchased by Jesus, by his blood. And when I would read this scripture, I felt judgment. And I felt God was like angry with me because I was violating this temple of God with sexual sin. And he had every reason to be angry with me and to judge me. But actually this translation helped me to see that God's not telling me off. Like on the contrary, we are being appealed to by a beautifully loving, all wise father who's not even trying to lodge it because he's in charge. But actually he's pleading with us so lovingly to not squander the treasure that we possess, but to really see with our spiritual eyes just how worthy we are and that the boundaries that he provides for us are not to punish us, but they're to protect us and to preserve us. And so through these words, God wants us to discover just how precious and lovingly we've been created for so much more than what we have settled for and what we settle for when we engage in counterfeit intimacy or when we engage in anything less than God's best for us. And he almost pleads with us to awaken to the truth that sexual immorality is a complete violation of his original design for our sexuality. That when we engage in anything less than yada, that we are in fact abusing ourselves and violating the beautiful purpose that our bodies were created for, which was first and foremost to worship God with our bodies and actually to be loved by him and to truly experience true love. Our bodies were not created for abuse. And, you know, we can sometimes have a certain idea of what we think abuse looks like. And that's how it was for me. Like, for example, when I was a kid, I was molested several times and this was obviously an abuse against my body because it was against my will and I was also a child. But then all the sexual stuff I engaged in by my own will later on in life, I saw that as sexual freedom and that by my own choice, I was satisfying my sensual appetite and exercising my own prerogative as a sexual being. But actually in hindsight, now that I understand God's design for sexuality, I can now see that all along my so-called sexual independence was also abuse to my body. The very same way that the non-consensual stuff that happened to me, because the bottom line is this, all sex, consensual or non-consensual outside of marriage is in fact abuse to our bodies. And so contrary to what the world may deem acceptable as the sexual norm, our bodies were never designed for sex before marriage or for same-sex relationships or for adultery or pornography or masturbation or any other sexually illicit activity. Our bodies were made for the highest kind of God-given and God-modeled love, for becoming one with another in holy, honoring, exclusive union. And anything less than this as attractive or as gratifying, as convenient, or even as normal as it may seem, is in fact a violation of the supreme way in which we have been created. And so when we engage in worldly sex, there is always abuse involved, whether it feels like it or not. And often when we're pursuing intimacy and responding to our sexual wiring, driven by our desire for intimacy and sexual connection, we don't necessarily look beyond this innate desire that we have, and we don't often consider the full extent of how our pursuit of intimacy outside of a biblical framework could in fact lead to consequences that simply aren't God's best for us. 
But these consequences are so real and destructive and I really want to make sure that you are aware of them. And so let's kick off with what some of these repercussions might be. But what I do want to say is that although some of the repercussions manifest as physical consequences or emotional, psychological and neurological consequences and of course spiritual consequences, they all do overlap and intertwine because we are made up of body, soul and spirit and sex involves connection on every level of our existence so you can't actually separate the physical from the emotional and the spiritual when it comes to sex and nor can you separate the holistic impact that sex has on all our dimensions you know and that could be whether it's positively or negatively impacting us. Um, so yeah, I'm going to start by addressing a couple of the physical repercussions of counterfeit intimacy that I actually believe to be the most destructive and I definitely feel that they need exposing um, so that we can be wiser and so that we're, we're not ignorant um, and actually so that we can help um, bring light and, and bring ministry and um, encouragement to those around us that don't know the Lord but are, are wrestling with these things and, in, and, and see these things as ordinary just occurrences of life. So why don't we kickstart things off with the yummy little topic of sexually transmitted diseases otherwise known as STDs or STIs. <laughs> um, when I was actually sexually active I never really considered how off-key it was that something like sex, which is actually designed to conceive life, was in fact breeding death. But that is exactly what happens with STDs. Because instead of a holy union occurring, which is sealed by the Spirit of God, where two become one in a blood covenant, and they conceive fruit out of the deepest intimacy, what we actually find in sexual immorality is that we have two becoming one flesh illegally, and the union is being sealed by demonic spirits instead. And as a result, it's breeding diseased fruit, leading to death instead of leading to life. And it's only when we take a minute to reflect that we think, hold on a mo. Like, how can something that breeds death and disease be from God? But when we're caught up in this world, I don't know if we make that connection. And instead, we just simply accept STDs as the norm you know, as part and parcel of just having sex. But obviously it goes without saying that two people who have never engaged in sex before or outside of marriage will usually never have to experience an STD. Yet when it comes to sexual immorality, STDs and pornea pretty much go hand in hand. And literally, as long as sexual immorality has existed, so have sexually transmitted diseases. And classic literature would call STDs the fire putting together judgment, pain, and the heat of lust in like this one holistic term. And the Apostle Paul even refers to STDs in Romans 1, 24 to 27, when he's addressing heterosexual and homosexual promiscuity, which was rampant in Rome at that time. And whether it's back in the first century or it's in today's modern society, the consequences of sexual immorality will always violate, damage and threaten our true well-being. And no matter how appealing or pleasurable or harmless sexual immorality appears to be on the surface or even how safe society can apparently try and make illicit sex, any sex outside of God is unsafe and 
damaging and it will cause contamination and it is satanic at its root. And please understand that no matter how common STDs might seem, this physical manifestation of what is a demonic union can't be taken lightly or just brushed under the carpet. And I truly believe that STDs are a clear, undeniable indicator of this. Because any lifestyle or activity or union that allows disease to occur as standard practice from engaging in it simply can't be of God because God is not a promoter of disease, defilement or death. And obviously I'm aware that there are many cases when STIs have occurred through non-sexual methods, you know, such as blood transfusions or birth or breastfeeding or needle sharing um, where the person with the infection didn't even cause it. And people can also be deceived into catching an infection. I remember back in the day when HIV and AIDS were exploding and you would read stories of people deliberately sleeping with other people to infect them with the disease because they were so angry. And so please don't misunderstand me. I'm not trying to condemn, especially if someone has contracted an STD through absolutely no fault of their own. Um, yet so many STDs usually are the consequences of our own sin. And in all honesty, I'm soberly aware that even if STDs are usually self-inflicted, let's face it, for many people in and of themselves, fear of catching a sexually transmitted disease simply is not often enough of a reason to refrain from people having sex outside of marriage. Yet, even if fear of STDs won't stop someone from having unprotected sex, I believe the risk of catching STDs when engaging in sexual immorality just works to further promote God's marital framework for sexual intimacy as the safest way to have sex. And it further reinforces the benefits of marital sex where we're actually free to enjoy sex in a way that doesn't harm us or place our lives in danger, where we don't end up feeling ashamed or dirty, which is often the outcome of sexually transmitted diseases. And if anyone listening has caught an STD or you're carrying an infection as you read this, like, please know that your identity is not in that STD. It doesn't label you or define you, but it's not God's best for you or for your body. And your body was never created for abuse. It was created for love. And so please don't settle for anything less than the love that you are worthy of. Um, and there's no condemnation for you if you are in Christ. And God will certainly lead you into restoration. If you don't know the Lord and you're listening to this, uh, I'm telling you, the Lord can deliver you. He can deliver you from every kind of disease. And there's no shame when we're in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And he can make you clean and forgive you, um, even if you do have to face the consequences of sexual sin. But he will give you the support, the comfort and the strength that you need to get through it and to, to begin to walk in purity. So please be encouraged. And so the next um, physical repercussion of worldly sex that I want to address is unplanned and unwanted pregnancies. Um, because of the highly sexualized and modern society that we now live in, the family structure obviously has totally evolved. And so having a child outside of marriage isn't a big deal. And because we live in a fallen world with so much brokenness and tragedy and sin, family looks very different now. And that's not to say that there aren't parents trying their utmost to raise their kids to their best ability 
But the brutal truth is that when sexual immorality is in the mix and sex is happening outside of the framework of marriage and the traditional family structure, we can often end up with having kids in less than ideal circumstances and risking the life, the well-being and the future of the children who are born out of the stable dynamic of loving, healthy, heterosexual marriages. And of course, I know this isn't always the case as there are so many people that despite a pregnancy being unplanned or occurring outside of marriage, they absolutely end up giving parenting their best shot, whether that means staying together with the person, you know, that they conceived with or whether it's staying apart, yet they still do their very best to raise that child. So I, I want to honor that. And I obviously know that we live in an age where we also have untold families with parents cohabiting or raising children together and being committed to one another without ever being legally married and their children are being raised with security and stability and so I want to honor that as well and and then of course although some women may not necessarily have a choice in raising children with someone if that father chooses you know to be absent or not to stay but many women in this day and age voluntarily choose to have children outside of marriage and in fact single parenthood or same-sex parenting is now promoted in our society as the norm and high divorce rates and absentee fathers and broken homes and children raising children is also a norm in our society now but sexual immorality will in many situations be the cause of these fractured circumstances which will lead to dysfunctional childhoods and dysfunctional intimacy for the children involved but actually God's order for family which is built upon the holy institute of marriage between a man and a woman in a loyal, loving covenant union and bearing children and raising family within that context is the most idle dynamic for family and child rearing, no matter how broken or modern society might become. And studies indicate this, that children flourish the best in stable family setups where there is a father and a mother in the home. So no matter how modern or fragile our world becomes, God's order for family is still the most conducive environment to a child truly thriving in their full potential and sexual immorality threatens and often violates this original design. What I do want to say though is that no matter the family dynamic, God never makes mistakes with any of his children that come into this world. Like he has a plan for every single child born, no matter what the circumstances of that birth may be. And it's not to say that God can't and won't redeem the situation and each individual's lives. But in a worldly system, this kind of consequence of sexual immorality is simply accepted as the norm, even though it was never God's original design and it was never God's best for mankind or for family. But then an even more devastating repercussion of sexual immorality is abortion and so that actually takes me on to the next point that I want to raise because far far too often children conceived out of sexual sin aren't even born they're aborted and I literally think that this is the most destructive consequence of sexual immorality like literally there were 207,384 abortions in the UK in 2019 and 81% of these were carried out for single women, clearly demonstrating that most of the cases were the consequences of sex taking place outside of marriage. And 40% were repeat abortions, indicating that they were not one-off accidents. 
2% of these abortions were carried out because of a risk that the child would be born seriously handicapped, 1% out of 207,000 abortions were carried out because the continuance of this pregnancy would involve risk or injury to the mental health or the physical health of any existing children in the family of the pregnant women. 181 abortions out of 207,000 plus were performed because if the pregnancy went ahead, it would involve risk to the life of the pregnant woman. But 98% of all these abortions performed, so 202,975 of the abortions performed in the UK last year, 2019, were performed because of a risk to the woman's mental health. So just to break it down, almost all the women who aborted a child in 2019 potentially deemed the impossible risk to their mental health as far more important than the life of their baby. And this resulted in 203,000 women in 2019 sacrificing their child to avoid potential stress. And please understand me, I'm not implying that undergoing an abortion is not stressful enough as it is. I've been there, so I know. Obviously, the choice to undergo a termination and the entire process can be so heartbreaking and fearful and regretful, particularly if the abortion was the result of abuse or rape. And, and I'm aware that there are many moral issues and social issues involved and the circumstances that could lead someone to decide to terminate a child are deeply complex and certainly not for anyone to judge. And as someone who has had two abortions, I get it. But because I now in hindsight understand the implication of abortions, I recognize that this isn't just a woman's choice about what to do with her body or simply a fetus that we're aborting. It's a life that we're taking. And not only is abortion a human issue here on earth, but the spiritual implications of abortion in the realm of the spirit are so deep and damaging. And this is because the shedding of blood carries weight in the realm of the spirit. And the most precious commodity that exists is the blood of Jesus. And it was the shedding of his blood as the Lamb of God, as the atonement for all mankind's sins, which purchase forgiveness and eternal life for all humanity. But when blood is shed illegally through antichrist ideologies, be it through suicide bombings in radical Islam or child sacrifice in idol worship or abortion in a secular society, that blood shed actually becomes a transactional commodity in the spiritual realm and becomes a blood sacrifice to Satan because it's shed in the name of an antichrist agenda and as a result that blood sacrifice increases satan's power to advance evil because he gains authority when innocent blood is sacrificed in an antichrist worldview because he is the ruler of this antichrist world system and so blood sacrifices conducted through abortions are a fundamental way used by satan to gain power and they always have been, even back in the day in the Old Testament when pagan deities, usually fertility gods, were offered children in an act of worship to gain a blessing or to consummate a vow taken in the name of the gods. And today, child sacrifice continues to take place all around the world as part and parcel of different cultures. And in modern societies, we have millions of living babies that are being sacrificed year upon year driven by the spirit of secularism, where self-gratification, convenience and lust are idols of their own. 
because the truth is that God's sovereignty and the sanctity of life are simply not part and parcel of the equation in a secular worldview where abortion is widely accepted and promoted as the norm. And this concept of modern day child sacrifice literally goes hand in hand with an interview that I read with former satanic high wizard, Zachary King, who is the author of a book called Abortion is a Satanic Sacrifice. So Zachary King, advancing to high wizard, he actively pushed Satan's agenda, including ritualistic abortions. And when talking about the role abortions play in satanic rituals, this is what he says. I'm just going to read it out as a quote. In Satanism, killing something or the death of something is the most effective way of getting your spell accomplished. As far as trying to get Satan's approval to give you something that you want, killing something is the ultimate sacrifice to Satan. And if you can kill an unborn, that is his ultimate goal. The World Church of Satan isn't the only organization that does satanic sacrifices in these abortion facilities. There are other witchcraft organizations such as Wiccans who are really involved in committing abortions inside these high profile facilities. You sometimes get invited to do the ritual abortion by the director of the facility or some higher administrator or sometimes the doctor is a satanist and they'll invite you to come in and participate in an abortion or they will want you to do a ceremony at the end of the day. Now at the end of the day, every day, satanic groups do like a black mass service usually around midnight and it will be an extended service that will last about two to three hours where they dedicate all the babies that were killed that day to Satan. It doesn't matter why women go in for the abortion all the babies get dedicated to Satan at the end of the day. How crazy is that? And obviously this is in America, but in the realm of the spirit, it doesn't matter which country it's in. An abortion is a blood sacrifice to Satan. End of story. And I'm sure it goes without saying that the 207,000 women who had abortions in the UK last year had no idea that they were sacrificing their babies to Satan. I certainly didn't when I had my abortions. I just saw them as a much needed solution to a problem and the abortion was my get out of jail free card and it was delivering me from the penalty of my reckless actions because let's face it as an Indian girl there was no way I could have a baby right I mean I wasn't even allowed to have a boyfriend let alone a baby out of wedlock and as far as I was concerned at that time I had no choice but to have an abortion otherwise my super traditional parents would have disowned me and the shame would have killed them because ultimately, reasons for having abortions are real issues for each person that makes that choice. And sometimes the reasons are so heartbreaking and drastic. Yet never in a million years would I have thought that this incredibly convenient medical procedure that literally saved my carefree life could be in any way, shape or form considered a blood sacrifice to the devil. But the truth of the matter is that the person having the abortion or the abortionist carrying out the abortion does not even need to be aware of the blood sacrifice taking place for it to count as an offering before Satan. Blood remains the most powerful commodity in the spiritual realm, whether your average Joe has any understanding of this spiritual principle or not. So the blood of each baby shed during an abortion is being offered up to Satan regardless of people's knowledge of the practice or not. We have to remember that Satan comes to steal, kill and destroy. And the very act of abortion is not just a devastating repercussion of satanic sex, but it is the ultimate way in which Satan destroys mankind through taking a life. And at the same time, the transactional principle of blood sacrifice 
increases Satan's power and his influence, enabling him to further advance his kingdom of darkness. Now, all of this might seem like extreme nonsense, given the popularity and perceived harmlessness and general acceptance of abortion in our society, right? But I plead with you, please do not believe the enemy's lies that surround the cultural claim that abortion is a humane, acceptable practice and a woman's right. Please do not believe the lie that a fetus is not a human until it's born. Like scientific evidence is so clear about a human life coming into existence at conception and developing all its organs and bodily structures within the first eight weeks. Like literally after 22 days of conception, the child's heart begins to circulate their own blood separate to their, their mums. The heartbeat can be detected on the ultrasound. At just six weeks, the child's eyes and eyelids, the nose, the mouth and tongue have been formed. Electrical brain activity can also be detected at six or seven weeks. And by the end of the eighth week, the child, now known scientifically as a fetus, has developed all of their organs and bodily structures. By 10 weeks after conception, the child can make bodily movements. And babies can survive outside the womb in an incubator at 22 weeks. But the enemy, Satan, loves to desensitize people into thinking that the baby being aborted is just a blob of tissue, which will be better off dead than alive. But this is such a lie from the pit of hell. This baby not only has a heartbeat, organs, electric, electrical brain activity, and its own blood circulation within six weeks of conception, but it has a purpose carved out for it even before the earth came into being. And if we are willing to trust God to fulfill that child's destiny and purpose, then no matter the circumstances and difficulties that may surround the pregnancy, God is given the opportunity to intervene. But once aborted, this becomes an earthly destiny unfulfilled, a life that has been murdered and ultimately leaves blood on our hands. And no matter how convenient, inevitable or justified it may seem at the time of the abortion, but to actually take the life of a child is murder and the gravest of sins before God. And contrary to the valid fears that an unwanted pregnancy can evoke or the inconvenience of having a child or the risk of disability or the shame, turmoil and injustice that may come with rape, God can and will bring you help if you need his help in this area. And he will provide a home for that child. He will provide finances for you to support the child if that's what you need. He will bring you wisdom and support to raise the child like whatever the circumstances, injustice or hopelessness an unwanted pregnancy may present. There is not a single soul that is ever conceived by God that he has not already orchestrated a unique purpose and plan for. But I also do not want to nullify the torment and the guilt and the condemnation that someone can experience when it comes to having had an abortion nor do I want to disqualify the hopelessness and the regret that mothers or partners or family members involved in an abortion may encounter like I know this from my own experience but I do want to encourage you that restoration and wholeness is available even after an abortion and there is forgiveness and freedom available to you if you like me have aborted a child or you've been involved in the abortion of a child but please do recognize that God is altogether kind and a loving and a perfect father his heart 
is for each one of us to bring children into this world in an environment where children can be nurtured and loved and raised with joy and willingness. And this is why he designed sex to be enjoyed within marriage so that children would be conceived in a loving, caring environment. Yet this isn't always possible because we live in a fallen world. But if you are considering an abortion, please consider choosing life. You will not regret it. Of this, I am sure. Now, these you know, are the main repercussions that I want to address in today's episode, although I know divorce is a biggie too, but I'm not going to address that. But what I will say is that the only one scriptural reason God allows for divorce is sexual immorality. And that isn't because he designed it that way, but because of man's sin. So it goes without saying that a drastic repercussion of sexual immorality is the actual breaking of a marriage covenant. And it's ridiculous to consider that we now live in a time where it's easier to get out of your marriage covenant than it is to get out of your phone contract. How insane is that, right? Um, Another physical repercussion of sexual immorality is porn consumption, um, but I'm going to address that in a separate podcast. Uh, But what I am going to do now is pray. So so I'm basically just going to pray about these physical repercussions. Um, And the kind of prayer that I'm actually going to pray is a prayer for you to actually repeat. Um, So it's going to be a prayer that, you know, it might not necessarily all apply to you. Um, There might be some parts that apply to you. So have a listen as I'm praying. And then I'll recommend you actually praying that particular part of the prayer yourself. um, Because that's the way I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray on behalf of people that potentially could be wrestling with any of those repercussions. So yeah, repeat after me should it apply to you. Um, So yeah, thank you Heavenly Father. I thank you that in your love I can find mercy and redemption. I repent and turn away from all sexual immorality. Please forgive me for seeking false intimacy through sexual disorder. I take full responsibility for my actions and repent of my sins. I take authority over all unclean spirits of lust and pornography and fornication. Of adultery, homosexuality, masturbation and any other sexual perversion. I bind every work of sexual sin in my life and I command it to leave in the name of Jesus right now. I renounce all involvement in sexual immorality. I declare that the enemy no longer has a foothold in my life. Jesus, your word tells me that if I confess my sin, you are faithful to forgive me and cleanse me. I thank you that your blood justifies, sanctifies and redeems me. I thank you that you cleanse me of the shame that results from my sin and that you wipe away the memories of the past. Deliver me from the repercussions of sexual sin. In your mercy, remove every sexually transmitted disease from me. Create in me a pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me.
Heavenly Father, return to me the innocence I once knew. Thank you that no matter what I may have been involved in, you can change my desires so that I can reject all counterfeit intimacy and embrace your very best for me. I thank you that because of your work on the cross, I can be set free from all sexual immorality. And I can discover perfect love in you. I give you permission to transform my life with your love and mighty power. In Jesus' name, I pray. I also ask you to forgive me for having an abortion and for taking an innocent life. I ask you to have mercy on me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I thank you that no matter what I've done, I can be confident that where sin abounds, your grace abounds more. I thank you that through the shedding of the blood of Jesus, all my sins are forgiven. And that you have washed my hands free from the guilt and condemnation of having an abortion or being involved in one. By your grace, I can forgive myself. I now roll the care of it onto you and I receive a fresh start. In return, I receive your peace and restoration. Jesus, I thank you for all you've done for me. I receive your peace and restoration. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So guys, I mean, I know it's been super intense, um, but this stuff is real, you know, and this is the stuff that God wants to preserve and protect us from, and he wants us to be wise about it, because not only does he want to preserve and protect us, but he wants us to be like vessels of love and truth for a sexually broken world where this stuff is just part and parcel of sexual immorality. But if we can understand this and, and we can, you know, reject this for that which is so much better and so much sweeter and purer and lovelier and just God's best for us, then we're able to role model that and help those that don't know God to engage with that and to engage with um, the God of sexuality, like the author of true intimacy. Yeah, so as intense as it was, I hope that this episode blessed your socks off feel free to get in touch, let me know your thoughts and whether this podcast um, has been helping you. Thank you so much actually for, for people that do that and for people that let me know, um, you know, how this podcast has been impacting them. It's so encouraging for me um, and really, yeah, just powerful to hear how God is managing to touch people's lives. Um, through these teachings so praise Jesus for that all the way thank you so much for joining me for today's show all related social media handles and links can be found in the notes section if you did enjoy today's episode then please do feel free to share it and do subscribe to the podcast if you want to know when a new episode is heading your way 
If you'd like to get in touch, you can do that via Instagram or Facebook, or you can head over to livinginlight.co.uk. I cannot wait to be with you guys again, and thank you so much for listening to the Living in Light podcast. Because you're beautiful, so beautiful.